0: I'm so grateful that you are here this morning. Hope you have a Bible, something that you can open up or turn on and that you we are going to we are going to focus in this morning. It's going to be a little different. We're going to focus in this morning in Acts chapter 4 and we're going to really zero in in verses 29 through verse 31. But if you want, I'm going to start in Acts chapter 3, and we're just going to walk through this story to help build the context for where we are going to focus in on at verse 29. So thankful for you, Greg, and those that serve with you, the, the, those that take up the offering, and those that serve every single Sunday morning, I hope, like I said at the very beginning, if you got one of these bulletins, on the back of that there will be some notes if you want to follow along as we study through God's Word together. So Acts chapter 4, we're going to be focusing in on verse 29 through verse 31, but if you want to go back to the beginning of Acts chapter 3 is going to where the story is setting up that takes us to uh, verse 29. Jesus, during his earthly ministry had called the 12 specific apostles to follow him, 12 specific disciples to follow him. During his crucifixion, Judas, one of the 12, uh, went went away, committed suicide. So then um, Acts chapter 1 opens up and you have 11 apostles. He gives the commission to those 11. He ascends back to the right hand of the Father. We've looked at this these last couple of weeks. And so then you have these 11. They get Matthias to be the number 12, but they're like, what do we do now? What's the next step? They start praying. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and the race is on. The church is exploding. People are coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And there is a great momentum that is taking place. And in Acts chapter 3 and starting in verse 1, the story, if you follow the narrative, the story opens up with Peter and John, and they're going to the temple at the hour of prayer. Just simply translated is, you have these two men that say, you know what, we've got a lot of ministry going on right now. We have a lot of needs right now. There's a lot of stuff that we need to be giving our time to, but nothing supersedes our need for prayer. So they're heading in to the temple to pray. And if you were to see back there in uh, chapter 3 and verse 1, they're going in to pray. And then the, the, the scripture tells us, the text tells us that there was a man, a lame man. A man that was lame in the way that he could not walk, he could not get up, he could not move himself. And the Bible tells us there in Acts chapter 3 that he was a lame man that had been that way since birth. And if you're looking to chapter 4 and verse 22, you will see that this man was over 40 years old. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 3 that every single day people carried him and they set him there at the gate going into the temple so that he might beg for food, money, provisions to sustain his life. So Peter and John are headed up to the temple at the hour of prayer and they walk past this man that is there begging for anything that someone might be willing to give him And as they see him and they recognize the need that is there. There's an interchange that you can go back and look at. But what the result was, the culmination was, is Peter looks at him and says, I don't have any food. I don't really have any money. But you know what I do have? I have the power of God working and using me and working through me. Rise up and walk and it says immediately the man stood up and he started leaping for joy he started running around he was so excited because he was healed well can you imagine 40 year old man at least 40 year old man every day you would walk past him every day that you had saw him and all of a sudden now he's walking he's moving he's running around it's going to cause a stir people are going to start to take notice people are going to go what in the world happened. So in chapter 3 and verse 12, Peter begins to explain. Now, some people may say, well, he began to preach. Well, part of preaching is explaining the word of God, explaining the things of God, explaining the words of Christ, explaining the work of Christ. So in chapter 3 and verse 12, Peter just starts explaining, okay, you all wonder how this guy is healed. You all wonder about what you're seeing. You all wonder what is going on. Let me tell you about Jesus. So he starts telling them about Jesus. He starts telling them about who Jesus was, what Jesus did, what Jesus is doing. And he is preaching, explaining the word of God to the people. And then it says in chapter 4 and verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them and greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So it tells us in verse 3, So then they arrested Peter and John, they held them in custody overnight, and then the next morning they brought them out and set them before the religious leaders. It says on verse five, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribe gathered together. And so they set Peter and John in front of them and say, What are you doing? What are you talking about? What is this thing that you're so consumed that you can't be quiet? About And Peter, filled with the boldness of God, begins to say, Let it be known by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him this man is standing before you well. So they have Peter and John and this lame man now healed standing before him. And they're saying, We want to investigate. So Peter says, This is how this happened. By the name of Jesus Christ, this man was healed. Well, you can imagine what that does to their status quo. You can imagine what that does to the comfort of people. You know, we as we as believers, we as human beings, we like to be comfortable. Don't change anything, don't rock the boat, don't, don't ask me to stretch, don't ask me to get out of my comfort zone. I, I just want same, same, all the same. So the religious leaders look at Peter and John and go, you know what? We don't like what you're having to say. And in verse 12, Peter tells them, there is no salvation in no one else. There is no other name name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So the religious leaders go back and they take counsel. We can't have this going on. This upsets our entire enterprise. We can't have this taking root. It questions everything, all the control that we have. We can't let this continue on. So in chapter 4 and verse 18, so they called them. And charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And then, verse 19, Peter answers. And he says, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So the religious leaders look at Peter and John and say, Stop talking about Jesus. And Peter looks at them and says, we don't have anything else to say. Can you imagine if the world was to look at the church today and say, stop talking about Jesus. And the church was to look back at the world and to say, we have nothing else to say. So they give them this ultimatum. And then it says in verse 21, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of all the people, for they were all praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Well, then we come to verse 23, because now they've released Peter and John. Don't talk about Jesus anymore. We can't explain the miracle. Peter and John say, We have an explanation. We don't want to hear your explanation. Just don't talk about Jesus anymore. Verse 23, the story continues. It says, and when they were released, and I'm going to go and start reading out of my copy of God's Word. If you want to follow along out of yours, it says, and when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And then he quotes Psalms 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had presented to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. To speak the word of God with boldness. I come to verse 31. And I wonder what that must have looked like. I wonder what that must have been like. Growing up, back before it was called the Oklahoma Science Museum, it is called the Kilpatrick center. And when you would go in there, there was a particular room that would sim- to uh, simulate a earthquake. And so you would go in there and they had the TV screens and you would stand on this little movable floor and you had the sounds and it was supposed to simulate like you're out in California. That's why a bunch of people have left. Because tornadoes are a lot better than earthquakes. So, you can see them coming. So, but the idea was you would go in there and it was a very an 80s style. But you would stand on this movable floor, and the floor would start moving, and you would see, you know, like the highways and the buildings all crumbling. And you'd hear the noise in there like that is what it's like to be in an earthquake. I think it pales in comparison to what it must have been like to be in that room when the place was shaken. Not by a tornado. Not by an earthquake. Not by anything of a natural sense. But in a supernatural way, when the Holy Spirit got a hold of the church and indwelt the church and filled the church, there was a shaking that was going on, and it resulted at the end of verse 31 that they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We've been looking these last several weeks at the three core values that we as a church have embraced build families, teach the Bible, and to be the church. And talking about what it means to be the church, there's a tagline that you see there at the top of your notes and that is to practice kingdom first principle. So we've been walking through what does this look like to be the church if you will and what one aspect of that is that we practice kingdom first principle. But I wonder how many of us have thought maybe this last week, this last month, this last year what would it be like for this church to be so filled with the spirit of God that this place shakes for the kingdom of God. We can come in and we can just say let's just maintain, let's just keep the lights on, let's just let's just survive. Take a couple of wins, take a couple of losses, let's let, let's just let's just persevere. Or we can say we have everything God has told us we need to advance the kingdom of God. You go back up to Acts chapter 4, and you look at verse 4 as Peter is preaching. Peter is preaching and explaining this, is what is going on, that people are listening. The religious leaders come and say, you're going with us. You're being detained. And in verse 4, it's a it's such a cool passage because it says, but many of those who had heard the word and believed, the number of the men came to about 5,000. The Bible tells us 5,000 people got saved, not because of the Building, not because of the people, not because of some emotional movement, but because they heard the word of God. Sometimes I think, church, we get more excited about the things of this world than we do about the things of God. There's a few seconds left in the game last night. All the commentators were like, oh, Texas is coming back, Texas, oh blah, blah, blah. And the camera was showing, they were showing Texas fans and they're saying OSU fans. And I'm going I'll be honest with you, as an OSU fan, you 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 always have a little bit of trepidation. <laughs> You've been disappointed so many times, and you kind of hate to get your hopes up this time, but as they are doing it, and, and, and as that quarterback threw the pass, and it went off the receiver's hands, and it fell into the hands of the secondary for OSU, the interception, and he runs a little bit, I'm like, dude, just fall down, stop, 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 and he ran for a few, he ran for just a little bit, and then he fell down, and then the camera panned to the crowd, and the crowd was going crazy. I would have liked for it to pan over to Greg to see what Greg was doing at that moment because so I bet you he was pretty excited. I bet you he was pretty intimate. But it's one of those things that pans and everybody is so excited and everybody's so worked up. We won, we won, we won. And then you fast forward to a Sunday morning and everybody's tired. And everybody's a little bit reserved. And nobody wants to get really happy about being a Christian so how do we get that boldness this is where I want you to zero in to verse 29 through verse 31 with me this morning this is gonna be quick Miss Jenna this is gonna be quick because she's like we haven't even got to a blank yet <laughs> he's nuts uh, yeah and we haven't even started yeah yeah but let's zero in to talk about what this boldness looks like in practice Three prayers that I want to point out to you that they, we see here in the text that I hope you will see with me in the text. Three prayers that they prayed that the result was verse 31 the first prayer that I want you to see with me that they give. It's not three separate prayers. It's one long, continuous prayer, but maybe maybe aspects of their prayer, marks of their prayer, traits of their prayer. The first one I want you to see is their prayer for devotion. If you look in verse 29, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. It's not the fact that they said that there's no problems out there, that there's no issues out there. They understood that there was a lot of opposition facing them. In fact, If you look in verse 28, it says to do whatever your hand and your plan are predestined to take place. They are saying, hey, you know what, Pontius Pilate, the guy that uh, killed Jesus, you know, Herod, the guy that approved of Jesus' killing, you know, the chief priests, the ones that were, were so... Uh, animated and insistent that they crucify him, all the people in the city that yelled crucify him, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus, all those people are there. God, we have no idea what your plan is, but we do know that even though we don't know what your plan is, we want to remain devoted to you. That's why they say in verse 29, (coughs) look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak. You see, sometimes in this Christian life, we start to think, well, as long as I'm a Christian and I'm doing what the Bible tells me to do, I am not going to have problems. And that's the opposite of what the Bible teaches. In John chapter 16 and verse 31, Jesus tells us, he promises us, and I don't want to try to quote it from memory because then I'll mess it up. So he tells us, he tells us what we will have and what we should expect in this world. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus tells us that as long as you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to have problems. You're going to have tribulations. You're going to have oppositions. You're going to get sick. People you love are going to die. You're going to have flat tires. People are going to make you mad. You're going to be around a bunch of dumb people on the, v, on the road. You're going to have all of these problems. Kids are going to be rebellious. You're going to take things wrong. People are going to take other things wrong. Tribulation is promise but you notice what their prayer is back in verse 29 he says this look upon their threats we know we have opposition and tribulation but what do we want to do we want to continue to speak your word with boldness if you think about it what were they asked to do if you go back up there to verse 18 it says so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus notice the religious leaders didn't say you can't meet They didn't say that you can't talk. They didn't say that you couldn't be motivating or inspiring or you couldn't have your little get-togethers. What they said was, don't talk in the name of Jesus. And whether we recognize it by name or not, you and I are constantly being tempted to compromise the word of God. We're constantly being tempted to say, well, yes, you can have religion. Yes, you can have God. Yes, you can have Christianity. But don't stress what it means to be holy, what it means to be sanctified. And I want to remind you this morning that compromise is never satisfied. Compromise is never satisfied. Well, how do you see that, Spence? Well, come to my house. I've got a little four-year-old that he says, Daddy, may have a cookie? Sure, you may have a cookie. Daddy might have another cookie. Daddy may have a third cookie. As long as I keep feeding that four-year-old cookies, he will never be sadder. It's always, I want, I want, I want, I want. And so many times we start to think, you know what? I'm just going to compromise with the world a little bit. I'm going to budge with the world a little bit. You know what? I'm just going to give in a little bit. I'll soften a little bit. And the world never says that's far enough. The lie that's out there today of tolerance, that we must be tolerant of other people. Tolerance is only good as long as you're getting what you want. So all those out there that say that we should be tolerant of other lifestyles and other beliefs and other opinions, if you listen to them, they want us to be tolerant of them, but they have no toleration for us. That is not tolerance. That's a demand for us to capitulate and compromise. So right here, what the servants, what the disciples, what the church is praying, they are praying, not can we compromise and be more appealing to the world. They're saying we want to be devoted to you And why can they say that kind of prayer? Because they had faith. And faith precedes devotion. Where do you get that from, Spence? Well, let me read for you out of Hebrews chapter 11. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 11, it's known as the faith chapter, the whole of faith chapter. Let me read for you quickly. It says there in verse 32, and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Listen. Who, through faith, conquered kingdoms. Enforce justice. obtained promises. Stop the mouth of lions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And if you're looking at the preceding verses there in chapter 11, it kept saying, Abraham, through faith. By faith, And it says all these people, they acted, they served, they did these things, these works to God through faith. It began with faith. And our devotion to God begins with our faith in God. And if we don't have the faith that God is enough, that God has it, that God is in control, and that God's word is sufficient, then we will not then carry out the devotion that is required. Because so many times we get hung up on this idea of being devoted. Well, I'm devoted because I go to church once a week. That is not what the Bible calls devotion. You see, what the world will do is they will dangle distractions. They will dangle possessions. They will dangle the dollar to distract us from devotion. And the world is always saying, hey, be devoted to this. You need this, but you know what this is going to cost you? This is going to cost your devotion to the kingdom of God. So we start to think, well, I've got to have this job. I've got to have this hobby. I deserve this. I'm owed this. It's not hurting anything. And the next thing you know, our devotion is being chipped at piece by piece by piece. But then there's another aspect. But it builds on this idea of devotion. Verse 29, and I look upon the Lord. Or now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servant to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Verse 30, while, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Notice the second aspect of what they're praying is not just for devotion, but they're praying for unction. Now unction is not a word that you're going to hear a lot, and some of you may go, what in the world is unction? Unction is an awesome, awesome word. If you were to look it up in the dictionary, just a simple definition, it is divine or spiritual influence upon a person. Another way to define it is a manifestation of a spiritual inspiration. It's this idea when Peter and John are preaching, proclaiming the word of God, and the religious leaders, they set them in front of them, and they're like, man, these are just common, uneducated men. What, 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 what's so special about these guys? There's nothing special about the guy. It's something that's special about their Savior. And it's the idea that this unction comes upon them. And so they're looking and they're praying to God and they're saying, God, we want to speak your word as you work through us. We want to speak your word. And so they're praying. They're praying for this unction, this manifestation of the Spirit, this spiritual anointing that just washes all over them. Some of you young men are going to go through this phase where you start to get this body spray. And nobody tells you how much is enough. So since you don't shower for probably once a week, you think if a little will work, a lot will do better. And you're just bathing this stuff. And it'll be all over the place. And you'll walk in and everybody will smell Mr. Axe has come into the room. And some of, you, some of you young ladies, you're, you're the same. I, I, I drive a school bus sometimes in the morning, and I can always tell the distinct fragrance. <laughs> when somebody gets on the bus, and they... I mean, it's all over the place. But it's an aroma. It's a fragrance that people can tell. That's what they're talking about when it comes to unction is that the Holy Spirit is so much upon you that people can see it, people can smell it, people can hear it, people can tell it just by looking at you that it's not you, that it's God in you. And that's what they're praying for. They're praying for this unction. They said, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders performed through your name, the Holy Servant Jesus. They said, we want to be so consumed with you that not only are we are speaking God's word, but we want to be used by God. That's what he's saying in verse 30. God, use us. You have these faith healers today that say, well, I have the power to do this. I have the control to do that. So you go to some Benny Hinn garbage, and Benny Hinn gets up there and pop, and you fall down. That contradicts the word of God. Notice it says in verse 31, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Yes, does God use human agents to carry out the work of the kingdom? Absolutely. But who is ultimately doing the healing? God. How is it being done? Through the name of Jesus. Not because of a person's power or because of a person's ability. So they say, give us this unction. As we speak God's word, may we be used by you for what purpose? To serve the kingdom of God. It all comes back to this idea that they wanted to serve and advance the kingdom of God. So they're praying for this unction because they said, we want to serve you. A lot of times we go into the situations and all we care about is what we get in return. What's in it for me? What do I get out of this situation? I want this. I want this. I want this. I want this. And there's even some people that come into the church and they begin to evaluate the church based upon the ministries of the church. Based upon the programs of the church. Based upon what the church has to offer. Well, I'm looking for a church XYZ like you're shopping for a house. There's not a perfect church out there. And this church has lots of rooms to improve, to grow, to better minister to this community and better minister to these people. And it's not that we're looking at you and saying we've got it all figured out. No, we are always in one state of maturity and growth of another. At the same time, the question is not how can I come serve the kingdom of God. It's how can they come and serve me? That's a backwards way of thinking. And then you listen to what they're saying. They're saying, We want the devotion. We want the unction. Why? Well, you see up there in verse 29, it's the same as you get down there at the last part of verse 31. So that we might continue to speak your word with all boldness. So they were praying not for just devotion, they were praying for unction. And thirdly, they were praying for boldness. Now, what is this? Boldness. How do we understand this idea of boldness? I put there in your notes, boldness is just simply to mean that they had an assurance. They had a, they had a confidence. They, they were able to say things plainly. There wasn't, they had to be all all slick about their things. They weren't using cups and balls and they weren't doing shifting mirrors. They wanted to say, God, may we have the clarity and the articulation to go to your people, to go to the people around us and to clearly, boldly, with all confidence that what we have is true, that the only hope that we have is in Jesus. And the only message that we have that Jesus saves. It's this idea that He comes in and they're praying, and when they're coming to God, they're not saying, God, would you please give us a 10 step program? God, would you please give us a, a new program? God, would you please give us new ideas? May we have a bit different abilities. No, they had one hope. <coughs> Everything they had was built upon one hope and that was God working in them through the name of Jesus Christ. That was their only hope. That so they were desperate. They were desperate for whatever it was that God wanted to do with them. They knew that the Satan was out there working in the world. They knew the temptations were present. They knew all these things were taking place but they said, we've got one hope and that is Jesus. And then they had one message. The only message was you're not good enough by yourself, and you need Jesus. You need Jesus. And that same message hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Every single one of us in this room, the greatest need that we have is a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Every single one of us, the only, the greatest thing, and at the root, what we need is a right relationship with Jesus and we go outside of these walls and we're looking at people and we can do community service projects and we can be an outward facing church and we can go and care to the minister and to the needy and to the poor and we can do those things and that is great and that is good and that has its place but let us understand that people outside these walls it's not that they need to be fed clothed housed or educated they need a right relationship with Jesus first and foremost Now, if we introduce them to Jesus through some of these compassion ministries, fine. But at the core, at the base, they need a right relationship with Jesus. And so the disciples in the church are sitting there in these verses, and they're looking at the world, and they're saying, we can say a lot of things that might be good and right things. But the world doesn't get upset when we just talk. The world gets upset when we talk about Jesus. Yesterday at the service, there was a young man that I hadn't seen for a number of years. Catching up a little bit. And I said, where do you go to church? And he named off a a little more more prominent church down in the metro area. I said, oh yeah, you you like going down there? And he's like, Yeah, they got good coffee. Okay. So the only reason you attend that church Because they got good coffee. Missing the point. And if that's the only thing that he can say about that particular church, maybe the church is missing the opportunity to explain why they're there. And brothers and sisters, sometimes we can start to think that we will interject Jesus later. We'll talk about Jesus later. We'll address Jesus later. But the reality is is we keep pushing it aside, and we may never get down to it. So notice they prayed for devotion. We want to be devoted to you." And kind of the way I think about it is, is they're looking at they're praying to God, and they're saying, "God, we want to be devoted to you, so that your unction will come down upon us, so that we will then have a boldness to go out to them. Now, you may say, well, Spence, we want the boldness. We want the boldness as a church to go out and to reach this community with the name of Jesus Christ. That is great. Have the boldness. But where does the boldness come from? The boldness comes from the unction of God. And where does the unction of God come from? It comes from our devotion to God. Now I'm not saying that it's all dependent that God is waiting for you to be devoted. What I'm saying is there's a recipe and there's a step-by-step process that we see in the text that when we get devoted to God, the favor and the blessings of God come down upon us and then we go out to other people. So if you're saying we don't see the boldness, we're not having the boldness, we're not having the effect. This church is not having the reach that we wish it to have. Why? It's because we don't have the unction. And if we don't have the unction, then is that saying something about our devotion? Well, it's the preacher's responsibility. It's the deacon's responsibility. It's the Sunday school school teacher's responsibility. Notice, notice, notice here in the text, they were all praying. Verse 23, when they were released, talking about Peter and John, they were released Verse 24, they had told it to their friends. It says in verse 23 and in verse 24, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together. There was a unity amongst all the people in the church there in Jerusalem that we are all a part of this. Which means that every single one of your devotions to God matters. Which means that every single one of our personal walks with the Lord matters. Which means that one of the easiest ways for Satan to tear down the church is one by one. So it's no accident. It's no accident if you're dry and distant from the Lord. It's no accident if you're struggling in your walk with the Lord. It's no accident if you feel like I'm the only one and I can't say anything, but I'm going through all this stuff over here, and I don't really don't know what to do, and I really don't have a lot of ideas. I'm just going to try to gut it out, all these things, and we start to think that we're isolated and that we're all by ourselves. No. Satan just knows that if he picks us off one by one by one, he tears us down eventually. So what do we do about this as the church? What do we do? first point of application I would give you this morning is that we need to be more devoted more more devoted to the spiritual than the secular. We need to be more devoted to the spiritual than the secular. I don't want to be legalistic here. But when it comes to your calendar and there's something that we're going on as a ministry of the church and more often than not you cannot participate because of a Hobby, it's telling. Or when the opportunity comes and says, hey, this need has arisen in the ministry of the church, but I can't because my schedule is so tight, I have no room to serve. It's telling. Sometimes I'll hear people say, well, you know what? The preacher needs to be done at noon because I've got this planned at 1215 and then 1245 and then 1.30 and 3 o'clock. And this is my only day off. And I'm like, I can tell. You're busier today than you were on Thursday. But it's one of those things that we, we schedule this thing out. And what happened? What would happen if the, if the unction of God would fall upon this place? We would all get all kinds of bold coming on. And all of a sudden we were like, let's go talk to people. I, I can't. i got to be someplace at 1215. Because we get more devoted to the spiritual. We get more devoted to the secular than the spiritual. The second point of application is are you desperate for unction? Are you desperate for unction? They had a desperation that they, because they knew of the opposition around them, because they knew of the danger around them, because they knew of the power of the world around them and the temptations that were there, they said, God, we need your anointing. We are not enough by ourselves. And so they were desperate for this unction. And then lastly, they were radical in their message. So if we're going to apply what it looks like to be the church, then we need, we must, we have to be more devoted to the spiritual than the secular. We must, we have, we need to be desperate for the unction of God. And we we need to be radical in our message. And what does this word radical mean? Just quickly, this word radical means a person who holds or follows strong conviction? If you decide to stand with this, you're going to increasingly become out of step with the world. Increasingly, you're going to become one of them. There's a school board meeting in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Part of the video was captured. One of the parents was there to object to a book that was found in the library. You can find the video online. do not encourage. I do not recommend it. But you can find this video online of this parent that is coming, and they have three minutes to address the school board there. And he starts to read from the book. Graphic language. Pornographic language. Ungodly language. He goes on to explain to the school board that This cuss word was found so many times in this book. This cuss word was found so many times in this book. This cuss word was found so many times in the book. Why do I bring it up? Because, brothers and sisters, we start to think that because we're in Oklahoma and we're not on the East Coast or the West Coast, it's not a thing here. Yes, it is. And it's not something that you and I need to get up and we need to shout and say, you're wrong, you're going to go to hell, you're so bad, you're so evil. No, we just need to stand on the truth of God's word, and we need to understand that what people need is Jesus. And the greatest way to show them Jesus is to be devoted to God, to let the unction come down upon us so we have the boldness to go tell them. So it starts with our devotion. It starts with your devotion. It starts with my devotion. And if we're not devoted, then how do we expect to have the unction? Would you bow your heads with me?